Hello everyone, this is Shalom Baum. Remember my voice on Dafa Shavuot as we study Maseches Yivamas, Daf Kuf Aleph. I want to thank Rabbi Israeli for his phenomenal shiurim. You'll be hearing from him again, Bezras Hashem. I wanted to take the opportunity to at least give uh, the first year as we start a new parak, the 12th parak. There's still part of the 11th parak on the top of Kuf Aleph, but I'm going to start with the 12th parak. And uh, hopefully you'll be listening to this either during Cholamoid or right after Yom Tov of Pesach. And we'll throw a little Pesach Torah in today as well. Everything always connects. It's very important when studying um, for this daf to look at the Pesukim in Parshas Ki Teitze. And just a quick review of the Pesukim will give us a sense of what's happening with the Chalitza situation. This is Devarim Perik Chafhei. Now, let's go back to uh, early Shirim that we gave, that we follow the view of Abishaul, that we're not going to Bizman Hazeh, all things being equal, we're not going to do a Yibam, we're going to do a Chalitza in a situation. Now, this doesn't mean, as we explained, that a Yibam is an impossibility. Um, if both sides have the sincere motivation, etc. Now, the psukim are going to be very important to understand what's happening in this, uh, on this daf and in this parak. So just a very uh, brief review. What's happening in the psukim, we're just going to summarize them very quickly, is that if uh, yibum is not desired, or practically it's not going to happen for any reason, assuming it's a situation where there is a Zika relationship that's established and therefore Yibam should be required, we move to Chalitza. What we learn in these Psukim is that there's a, a certain dialogue that takes place, a certain uh, liturgy that has to take place. The, the, the Pasuk Zion in Perichafei says, Vim lo ish. If the man doesn't take his brother's wife, Lakachas as Yavimto, as a Yavama, which means he doesn't take the Yavama as a wife, but also Yavimto Hashar El So what they have to do is they have to go up to the gate, literally, of the elders. In our Mishnah, it talks about having at least three judges, and we're going to see the idea of having two additional judges in order to publicize what's happening, whether they're categorized as judges or not, is part of the discussion. But this is what I want to share with you now, for Amra, and what happens over here. She says, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother's name in Israel. He won't perform the duty of a husband's brother unto me. I'm just reading straight out the Pesukim so we have an understanding. So the elders of the cities, they of the city, they called to him, the Dayanim, and if he stands there and says, I will not take her, what happens in Pasuk Tess? Then the brother's wife Draws Laine has a canem in the presence of Zakanim Vikalta Nalo Me Al Raglo and loosens his shoe from off his foot. What we have right away in the beginning of our Sugya here, already discussed in the Mishnah, is what's the nature of the shoe. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that, at least in this year of Ansava Amra. 
And she answers, so she's given the script. So it shall be done unto the man that doesn't build up his brother's house. And his name should be called in Israel, the house of him that had his shoe uh, loosened up. Now again, it's the dialogue, or at least the script over here, sounds very negative towards him. But the reality is uh, really a reflection of both of their opinions. But that's the bottom line. Now, right away, what we're seeing over here is a specific script. Where else do you see such a thing? You may be thinking a little bit of uh, just over Yantza, Birchus Khan, and the, the, the Baltfila says something, and the Tzibor repeats it. What struck me as I was reading through this was Bikurim, which we, of course, focused on during Pesach and my Shabbos HaGadol Drasha, the Va'anisa V'yamarta. And that used to be said, as we pointed out, by every farmer, but then it ended up being said by a representative in order not to embarrass those farmers that couldn't speak Hebrew. And um, so we do see the Torah at times presents for us a specific script that has to be said, and you can't really move away from it. The question of why in specific situations we have a specific script is a um, very fascinating one. I don't have a great answer, and uh, we could try to evaluate it. I'd love to hear your opinions. I want to jump right into relating to this discussion to a very fascinating tshuva of the Chacham Tzvi. It's a pretty well-known tshuva. It's, in fact, the first tshuva of the Chacham Tzvi. Now, when you think about the Chacham Tzvi, the Chacham Tzvi is most well-known for the view that when uh, someone from Chutzlaretz goes to Israel for Yom Tov, whether they live in Israel or not, they just keep one day of Yom Tov. For some reason, that's the Chacham Tzvi that's very well-known. But the Chacham Tzvi was a great god, though. He's actually with the issue of keeping one day or, or two days or a day and a half, as we call it today, he is not the majority opinion, although those that rely on him, if that's their uh, tradition in the family, they do have what to rely on. But that's a d- d- separate discussion that we're going to have today. But the Chacham Tzvi dealt with very practical issues. His, his uh, full name, the Chacham Tzvi, was Tzvi Hirsch Ben Yaakov Ashkenazi, the Chacham Tzvi. And uh, he's from Germany, 17th century. And he eventually makes his way to Salonika, where he acquires the uh, Sephardic approach to learning. So he's really respected both in the Ashkenazic and Sephardic world. And he deals with uh, many, many important questions. Uh, He spent time in Germany, in Holland, Amsterdam, London, Poland. And uh, you get to see a lot of action that was happening in his time. So he has a tshuva dealing with chalitza. I'm going to give you the tshuva very briefly. And then we're going to talk about what it represents, and it's a big discussion in the Achrona. The tshuva was a woman whose husband passed away. Let's call him Ruvain. It's actually not matching up exactly with the names in this tshuva. And there are a number of brothers. She passes away without any children. What makes the case uh, kind of interesting if you're not involved in it, it's interesting. If you're involved in it, it's somewhat tragic, is that this was her second husband without children. She no longer is interested in getting married again. 
for really uh, three reasons. One's an economic reason, which we're not going to get into now. The second, you know, we've discussed the concept of a katlanit, where a woman is married to two husbands that die, will assume at a relatively young age, question whether she should get married a third time. She's taking the view that she doesn't want to get married a third time. And probably the most significant issue as far as we're concerned, and incredible to see these were issues that the Chacham Tzvi had to deal with in the 17th, 18th century. He passes away in 1718 in a place called uh, Lemberg, which is Lvov, which was just bombed this week by the Russians. It's in Ukraine. Back then, I think it was in Poland. But all of the other brothers, except for her religious husband, were assimilated, married to non-Jews. One actually seems to be turned into a Christian. I mean, these are not new issues. So she has no interest in marrying any of them. The question that comes up, a very practical question, if uh, this was relevant, but a question I never really thought of till I saw it discussed by some of the commentaries. Then I saw the reference back to this famous truth of the Chacham Tzvi. I've seen the Chacham Tzvi in the context of assimilation, not so much in the context of Chalitza and some of the issues that the Chacham Tzvi was famous for dealing with in many of these different communities. But the issue over here is that the woman has no interest in going through with a Chalitza. She's willing to maintain the Zika. The Zika means that she's going to have a bond to the brother. Um, Let's assume it's the oldest brother. We've seen situations where it could be any brother. But she's not interested in going through the Chalitza ceremony. This guy, the brothers are not definitely not interested in going through this Chalitza ceremony, especially if you follow the language. It's not just degrading to her, in their opinion. It's degrading to them because they're getting a, a bad reputation, at least from the text that we have in Parshish Kitetze. So does she have to have a Chalitza if she has no interest in getting married? So the Chacham Tzvi says there's no reason to perform Chalitza when the Yavama doesn't, has no interest in remarrying any one of these uh, people or anyone at all. We would say she's in an Aguna state, but here she's in an Aguna state from choice. But if you look into different Acheronim, there are different opinions. There's Tshuva uh, Chassam Sofer on this topic as well. But I just wanted to just show it. Uh, I'm not sure what the maskana is. There's going to be different opinions. What happens if uh, today, if such a case would come up, I'm not sure, right? You'd have to ask your local Orthodox rabbi who's a bucky in Chalitza, which I am not at all bucking in Chalitza. The second issue that I want to address on this daf is how public is this ceremony, how public is the ceremony? You know, do we try to keep it just to the people involved, which is the Yavam, the Yavama, let's say we're going to have a Chalitza, and the three or five Dayanim, based on our Gemara, or do we want to bring a Tzibor into the situation? Bring more people there. Now, why would we want to bring more people in? Before I get to that, I want to explain to you which maybe I've mentioned before when I was a Talmud of Rav Melech Shechter, 
which means uh, way back when, when I was in Shiva University, I had Rav Herschel Shekhtar's father as a Rebbe in learning a little bit about Chalitza, but mostly we were studying different issues of marriage as a, some part of our preparation for smicha. And a Chalitza was taking place. He was an expert in being in doing Chalitza. He was an expert in Gideon and in marriage and in uh, Peruvu Shailas. This, he was a very big uh, Talmud Chacham, great guy, <coughs> Rav Melech Shefter, this is Rav Herschel Shefter's father, such a modest man. And he brought us to a Chalitza. As I recall, there was a big, big showing there. And the question is why? What's the value of having many people there? So let's just do a little review of some things that we've learned earlier, not necessarily in Masechus Yavamas, but a general question of Barovam Hadras Melech. So just to take one step back, the purpose here, at least the way Rashi explains it in our Gemara, and it seems to be the view of uh, most of the Rishonim and the Acheronim, the reason why you have a piercing of publicity taking place when it comes to a chalitza is for one of two reasons, and they're not mutually exclusive, according to Rashi, at least. First of all, it's to the benefit of the woman, because now she's going to be eligible, and people will know about it, that she's eligible to remarry. So that's fascinating. It's a way of maybe dealing with the shidduch issues. We should do a little bit more PR. And second of all, it will also make known the fact that she's forbidden to be with a Kohen. The question that is raised, because we've discussed this before, that someone who's a Grusha, someone who's a Chalutza, cannot marry a Kohen. So the question that is raised by a number of Achronim, which we're not going to get into now, is why don't you have the same publicity by a Grusha? I mean, I think on the surface, the simple answer would be a Grusha would be more well-known than a Chalutza situation. But this leads to the question of Barovam Hadras Melech. If we're doing this publicity, is it better to have as many people as possible? We know that in general, when it comes to mitzvos, we want to have a unified event, which means as many people participating in the mitzvah. The way this plays out, it's really based on a pasuk in Mishlei, and the way this is explained in the Gemara Maseches Brachas Daf Nun Gimel Amid Aleph, and a very good formulation by the by the Kesef Mishnah, which is Rabbi Yosef Kara, but is perish on the Rambam Hilchas Brachas Perak Aleph, is what I call a unified collaborative effort. If you could have many people being involved in a mitzvah, doing it together, then it's better than having less people involved. You know, this actually comes down, according to some, in the choice of what shul to go to. Is it better to go to a bigger shul or a smaller shul? So all things being equal, there's a value in going to a bigger place because it's a, we call it something like a Kiddush Hashem. We have more people involved if you have a filled stadium versus an emptier stadium. The way this plays out, actually, in, in Pesach season ties into another uh, issue of Shomea Ka'ona. You know that um, Friday night, the minhag that most people have is that Kiddush is made by one person and everyone answers. 
um, as opposed to everyone saying Kiddush on their own. So that's why I call it a unified collaborative effort. You see, when everybody's making Kiddush on their own, they're all involved in the mitzvah, but it's as unique individuals. I mean, you're not going to get the timing exactly right. There's a question we have a Gemara Musechus Megillah that tells us, you're not going to have, if there's one person at the table maybe who needs Kiddush to be satisfied for them, they're not going to hear when two people are going. <coughs> the um, Shulchan Aruch Harav tells us that Barovim Hadras Melech is an ideal, but it's not necessarily for everyone. You really have the choice, or just Biyada. Simon Rashid Gimel Sivav. This happened to be the view of my father. My father felt that Kiddush Friday night, even on a regular Friday night, for Chinuch purposes, he wanted all of us to say our own Kiddush and that fact that we shouldn't look like fools in front of our future father-in-law. So he wanted us to get the Hebrew down and the, the Nusuch down, etc. But there are those who make Kiddush for everyone else Friday night. You have Shomea Ka'oneh functioning, Barov of Hadras Melech. But Pesach night, they're going to have every single person say the Kiddush to themselves. That's men and women. Now again, there's going to be togetherness because everybody's doing it at the same time, but it's not in a collaborative way where it's one for everyone else being Yotze. And there's a, a very interesting tshuva of a Ephraim Greenblatt in the Rivos Ephraim where he says that clearly there is a strong minhug, Pesach night, where people do it on their own. I explained this one time many years ago, eight years ago, in fact, in the Shabbos, Hagol Drasha, that it's a din in Cheros. It's not just a din in Cheros, it's a din in everyone is participating in the Yitziah. So there'll be an exception to the rule. You could have exceptions to Barovim Hatras Melech, but the rule would apply. If you look at the Gra, the Ber HaGra, in Simen Ches, there doesn't seem to be, there do not seem to be exceptions to it. And many have the practice, Rabbi Frank Greenblatt says he himself has that practice where even at the Seder, one person does it for everyone else. So if you look at the Chashuge Chemeh, Rav Zilberstein, on Meseches Yuvamas Daf Kuf Aleph Hamid Bey's Our Daf, he asked this question. Okay, so we do publicity. Is it better to have even more publicity? And would that be considered a fulfillment of Barovim Hadras Melech? Or if you could formulate the Chiyuv of Barovim Hadras Melech, Ha'im Yesh Inyan Lachlot Barov Am Mishum Barov Hadras Melech. Like that experience that I had as a Smicha student. <coughs> Was it just for educational purposes? So I should know how to do a Chalitza? Or was it, as I recall, many more people were there as an audience? Now, this is not a spectator sport, and we don't want to embarrass people. So what are the values that are driving it? And I'm going to try to explain it through the tarots that's given by the Chashuk Echeme. So Rav Zilberstein entertains the possibility of there being Barovim Hadras Melech to try to have as much PR as possible. And he understands the Barovim Hadras Melech as being an extension of what's already built into the Torah, where there is this publicity aspect of Kedei Lefarsim, Shehi Chalutza, and the two reasons that we gave. In his conclusion, as I understand it, he says, in our days where we're not encouraging Yibam, and we are encouraging Chalitza, there's no reason to do it. And the reason he explains 
is what we're actually doing is the publicity, in addition to what we explained before, according to Rashi, the publicity is also a certain condemnation of the Yavam, who's not willing to do Yibam, or of the Yavama, who's not willing to be attached. But today, since we're already following the Abashal view, discouraging Yibam, so he says, So he sees this more as just a technicality. It's a technical procedure. It's not a mitzvah that would require extensive uh, participation. That's uh, his view. And uh, so if there is an audience, maybe for educational reasons it's there, but it's not there to embarrass anyone, and it's not there because Barov Madras Melech is necessary. He does end with a tzarech iyun, um, which means that it's inconclusive, which brings us back to what we said before. I wanted to just leave you with one last thing. You're going to see on Ahmed Bey's a uh, pasuk from Shir Hashirim. The minhag is that we always read Shir Hashirim on Shabbos of Pesach. It's usually, typically, it's going to be on the Shabbos of uh, Cholamoid. This year there's no Shabbos Cholamoid. The connection with Shabbos I'm not going to explain, but I want to just show you how serious it is that in Eretz Yisrael, where there's no Shabbos this year of um, the last days, and of Cholamoy, because Shabbos is actually Yisruchag, they read on the first day of Yom Tov, because the first days were Shabbos and Sunday. That's when they did Shir Hashirim. So there's a little bit of Shir Hashirim uh, trivia. The Pasuk that's used on the top is a very fascinating Alshech, who explains this Pasuk, of uh, the beauty of the Kala who has no mum, Shir Hashir and Perik Dalit, Pasuk Zion, and the Alshuk says that this actually is representative of how Hashem sees the Jewish people, even with our mumin. But the fact that we followed Hashem into the, into, uh, the Midbar, and despite being in a low level of Ruchnius, we were still willing to uh, go along with the Rebona Shalom, that is where our beauty is. And I just thought it was a beautiful application how you could have a relationship that is considered to be beautiful without a mum, but it's still not perfect. We usually assume a mum is a defect that would take away from perfection. Maybe that's true when it comes to an animal or the technical details of a Kohen, but when it comes to Klal when it comes to Klal we say that even with our uh, shortcomings, we're still a complete nation as long as we remain connected to the Rebbe Shalom. Have a great way, week of learning.